Section 16 of Guelphs and Ghibellines by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 12 The Mercenaries, Perugia and Siena, Florence and Pisa, Urban V, Charles IV, and Gregory XI. Part 1. The period of which we are now treating is one in which an important part was played by the various bodies of mercenary soldiers who under different names traversed italy in all directions fighting plundering betraying stimulating war for the sake of gain sparing each other in battle and carving out thrones and dominions for themselves in the universal confusion it is to the credit of florence that she was the first to oppose a bold front to the great company and to check the devastations of that band of robbers at the same time her internal condition was far from satisfactory. The city was torn in two by the factions of the Ricci and the Albizzi, and the government had got into the hands of young and inexperienced men. The divieto or prohibition had been established to prevent two persons of the same name from holding certain offices together at the same time. It was a precaution against the undue preponderance of family influence in the administration, but it acted very unequally. The older families had many branches and wide connections, and they found themselves by this rule excluded to a great extent from office. The younger families, on the contrary, were called by a greater variety of names, and therefore related branches were able to share in the government together the tendency of this was to exclude unjustly the most powerful guelph families and to admit those whose principles were less certain and less pure also there was a tendency to exclude a large number of citizens from office which grew up in the following manner the capitani di parte guelfa had been instituted in twelve sixty nine for the purpose of administering the property of the exiled ghibellines as this gave them the disposal of a large sum of money they gradually acquired very considerable power in the beginning of thirteen fifty two they got a law passed by which any one who had held an office should on being convicted of ghibellinism be punished in any manner the seigneury might determine but with not less than a fine of five hundred silver florins and besides this he should be declared incapable of holding office for life. The accusation was to be proved by the testimony of six witnesses, and the judges were to be the captains of the Parte Guelfa and the consuls of the arts. This law was afterwards modified. Two Populani were added to the Capitani di Parte Guelfa, which previously consisted only of two representatives of the Grandi and two of the Popolo Grasso and it was enacted that if by a majority of two-thirds they should decide that any one was tainted with ghibellinism he was to be warned or admonished not to take office and so to expose himself to the penalties of the law thus there grew up in the state a class of ammoniti as they were called excluded from public affairs which were a constant centre of dissatisfaction and discontent about this time war broke out between perugia and siena two cities of the guelphic quadrilateral perugia as has been mentioned was a fief of the church and not of the empire 
and by being withdrawn in some degree from the struggles of the time it had become very rich and prosperous with a natural desire to extend its power it attempted the reduction of cortona an old etruscan city perched on a precipitous cliff cortona placed itself under the protection of siena the florentines declined to assist cortona but charged the perugians to desist from their unjust encroachments the sienese took strange measures in march thirteen fifty eight they hired a german condottiere named baumgarten with twelve thousand men the perugians were compelled to raise the siege of cortona but they returned to the struggle again with larger forces and on april tenth defeated the sienese at torita and took baumgarten prisoner the florentines tried to make peace between these two old allies but the sienese were determined to wipe out the disgrace of torita they applied for assistance to the visconte of milan to the profeto of vico and finally to count lando and his great company lando was now in the romagna and he asked permission to pass through the territory of florence he was allowed to take a path through the apennines on condition of entirely avoiding the plain of tuscany he retained in custody two florentine envoys as a guarantee of safety his intention was to pass through the val di lamone to bibiena in the casentino but his mercenary soldiers were difficult to keep in order in spite of every precaution they plundered and burned two villages the peasants determined upon vengeance the mercenary army had to pass through a narrow gorge called biforco o le scalette the slopes of the hills were occupied by mountaineers the vanguard in which were the two florentine envoys were allowed to pass without hindrance but lando with the main body found himself stopped at a given signal an avalanche of rock was let loose from the upper slopes the horses were terrified and carried down into the torrents lando was wounded in the head at this moment count burkhardt with the rear guard entered the pass when a falling rock carried both horse and rider into the abyss below the great company was cut to pieces lando was taken prisoner but was released on payment of a ransom in the meantime the vanguard had fortified itself in the castle of di comano in the val di sieve the florentines went to attack it but the envoys finding their lives in danger instead of sacrificing themselves for the good of their country helped to secure the retreat of the mercenaries to tivoli in the romagna thus an opportunity was lost of ridding themselves of this pest and the great company cherished an undying hatred against the florentines soon after this peace was made between perugia and siena on equitable terms cardinal albornoth who had been recalled to avignon returned to italy at the close of thirteen fifty eight in the beginning of the following year he signed a treaty with the great company which provided that it should not attack the state of the church or the territory of florence on the payment of forty-five thousand florins by the one and eighty thousand by the other the florentines repudiated this agreement with the utmost indignation they were not sunk so low as to bargain for their safety with a band of brigands it is greatly to the credit of florence that she was the first to oppose a manly resistance to this extortion and to renounce a system of cowardly temporizing which had proved the destruction of the roman empire 
Lando, reinforced by the troops of Baumgarten and by nearly all the foreign adventurers who were then in Italy, stronger in numbers than ever, was now invited to take service with the Marquis of Montferrat against the Visconti. He was at this time in the territory of Perugia, which had granted him a free passage. Siena and Pisa had done the same, and Lando hoped to terrify the government of Florence. The Florentines, however, strengthened by a number of allies who seized an opportunity of declaring against a common scourge, placed Pandolfo Malatesta at their head and determined to defend their frontiers. The company passed from the territory of Siena to that of Pisa and then to that of Lucca, always skirting the boundaries of Florence. At last, the two armies came face to face in July 1359 near Monte Catini between Pistoia and Pescia. Lando challenged Pandolfo to battle, sending him a glove stained with blood. The challenge was willingly accepted, but the German was afraid to risk an engagement. He set fire to his camp and marched in haste to Genoa. Malatesta returned to Florence in triumph. The Florentines sent a force of a thousand men to Bernabo Visconti to help him against the mercenaries, but Lando soon left the service of Montferrat for that of Bernabo himself, so that the Florentines and the Germans found themselves fighting on the same side. This accession to the power of the Visconti enabled them to reduce Pavia. If we followed the strict chronological order of events, we should now give an account of the contention between the Visconti and the Pope, which occupied the years 1360 to 1361. But it will probably be more convenient to defer this for the present, and to pass on to the war between Florence and Pisa, which broke out in 1362. The quarrel had begun in 1356 about a question of trade. Florence was now, next to Venice, the greatest commercial city of Italy. The natural road for its traffic was through Pisa, and this traffic was a source of wealth to both communities. The Florentines had always enjoyed the right of free entry to the port of Pisa, but in June 1356, the Pisans imposed a pirate tax on the ground of the expense of keeping down the pirates. This the Florentines resisted, and in November they broke off their commercial relations with Pisa and determined that in future their commerce should pass through the harbor of Talamone in Maremma, which belonged to the Sienese. Talamone is familiar to students of the Divina Commedia as a place where the people of Siena had spent a great deal of money without result. The modern port of Florence, Livorno or Leghorn, owes its formation to the dukes of the House of Medici. This change was a terrible loss to Pisa. Not only did the Florentines leave the city, but also the merchants of many nations whom the Florentines had attracted thither. The Pisans tried to prevent ships from sailing to Talamone by force, but in the end they were obliged to succumb. This attempt to force trade out of its natural channel brought advantage to nobody. Revolutions broke out at Pisa, Florence, and Perugia, and added to the universal confusion and distress. In 1361 the Florentines became masters of Volterra, a strong hill town which the Pisans had always coveted for themselves. At length their growing discontent burst into flame, and war was declared between the two cities. 
success everywhere attended the florentines they not only pressed the pisans by land but with the help of the genoese and neapolitans attacked them by sea since the defeat of meloria the maritime power of the pisans had almost ceased to exist so that they could offer little or no resistance the florentines captured the island of giglio in the tuscan archipelago they even attacked the very port of pisa and took away the iron chains which defended it these chains long hung over the gate of the baptistry at florence until they were restored when both towns became part of a united italy the pisans in despair turned for help to bernabo visconti of milan himself hard pressed by a crowd of enemies he sent to their assistance the white or english company of mercenaries of whose fortunes we must now give some account this company was now commanded by a german albert sterz they were called the english company either because the company was largely composed of englishmen or because they had been in the pay of edward the third in france or because they had adopted the english methods of discipline and accoutrement the south of france was at this time almost in as bad a condition as italy the soldiers set free by the peace of bretigny in thirteen sixty were ravaging the country in all directions the white company had passed into italy in thirteen sixty to avoid the plague which was then raging in provence and the marquis of montferrat was very glad of its assistance to help him against the visconti with the usual infidelity of their kind the company passed over to the side of the visconti against whom it was engaged to fight bernabo was soon tired of these troublesome allies and by sending them to assist the pisans he rid himself of a disagreeable burden and was able to defend his friends at a cheap rate End of section sixteen.